Hello and welcome. I am Giles Alderson and this is episode 168 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up in a very, very humble opinion. Today, I'm delighted to welcome back a returning hero of this podcast. He was originally on episode number 28. And he came on to talk about his feature film, Hex, that he made for 10 grand. Yep, just 10 grand and it's released all over the world called Hex. He is back only 150 odd episodes later because he has made his next feature film called The Droving and it is fantastic it's getting rave reviews it's doing really well and again he made it for a very modest budget we talk all about that and locations how he uses practical effects for his deaths and his fights and the importance of knowing the business and your marketing for your film and how he got distribution for both Hex and The Droving all that is to come first to tell you about is the make your film event yes we are back for the live event is online now but it's still live because you can join us and ask questions and that is july the 9th wherever you are in the world you can join us first guest that has been announced is dara resnick who is a showrunner and screenwriter and producer of such tv shows as daredevil and castle and pushing up daisies amazing come join us um link to the make your film event july the 9th is in the show notes right i want to introduce to you my co-host today he is the fantastic dp not only of my films the dare world of darkness and many many others um he's also a fantastic dp of so many other films including uh Go on, drag him up. Get, right. get real deep in there. Go on, right. let's go. Oh, no one cares, really. Match of the day, 98. Yeah. EastEnders, 99. Um, <laughs> that's true. That's a true one. Match of the day is a true one. Um, should we keep going back? Should we find some more? Yeah, let's do yeah. it. Uh, what else did you do? TV uh, back in the day. Hillingdon School Play... You did 2002 yeah, 2002 back when you were going up in the world it was just a time when it was peaking for you and then yeah. didn't you do a corporate for uh, for dog brushes? yeah it was all downhill yeah, after that good but yeah, he's not only right. done that yeah. but he's also done um, Supreme Tweeter Borderline on TV Stella Gets Her Wings Dark Heart and Plebs as we've mentioned there on film um, he made loads of shorts with me and loads of shorts with some other much better people than me oh, well actually short you made with me The Heart of the Forest uh, did make Heart of the Forest he's been you? having a little resurgence lately and I think because Jessica Hennick who wrote it produced it with Lord Fabrez and starred in it is in The Matrix 4 um, is she? yes she Again, is good for her she's the lead girl I believe so really? that's fantastic news yeah obviously she's been in Iron Fist and Game of Thrones and stuff and very well known for that but yeah uh, you can watch The Heart of the Forest now. It's free on Amazon Prime. There you go. Go watch it if you fancy. I'll give it a go. Uh, you did the feature films To Dream, One Thing Left to Do, uh, World of Darkness with Me, Sunset Dreams. Um, Terminator 2. Terminator 2. Terminator 2. I remember when you did Terminator 2. Uh, Wives of Jaws. the Landed Gentry The Dare with Me You went and came over to Sweden to do our TV pilot series Not for Profit And uh, not only did you do Jaws But Arthur and Merlin Knights of Camelot Is released on July the 13th That's not long now That's literally under a month away The trailer has dropped You can look at that do take a look let us know what you think uh, and it's released through Signature Entertainment and we had Mark Goldberg on last week uh, what a fantastic guest he was I know that I got so much love uh, from you lot for listening to that so thank you and thank you always for joining us and listening and giving so much feedback give more at Filmmakers Pod come on chuck it at us we don't mind link to our King Arthur movie which will be out in July in July is that happening is that July is that official nothing has changed so it's still official <laughs> everything's changed but nothing has changed, Andy. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Everything is normal. Everything if you're watching this in the future, not Everything during the event, awesome. then that's fine. Um, yeah. If, you're, if, you, if we're out the other end now and you're listening to this, then everything is fine. Nothing happened. It was yeah. a blip. Uh, we are living Touch through the corona again. at yeah. the moment. How Lick are you everything. coping? Last? I'm doing great, thanks, Charles. Are you, um, are you really? Because you are doing well, the watches, planar watches, your brand new. Well, this is the thing. I, it's funny you bring that up. Mm, it um, is funny I bring that up. <laughs> so, yeah. So like in uh, over Christmas, I was like, because for ages I've been like, I'm going to start a watch company, and everyone's been like, oh, yeah. Why? Sure. 
And then I've been so busy. No, but why? Making films for you. No, why do you want to do a large company? <laughs> why? <laughs> I don't have a good reason. I like watches. And I worked out I could make them pretty well. So Nelly spat water everywhere. Like, you didn't have a good reason. You had no good reason to do it. <laughs> well, Giles, people need watches because th- they don't have any other way of telling the time because it's 1940. The sun. Um, mm. The sun, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've launched a little watch company. Yeah. Um, hand-built watches. Hand-built in Tring, UK. Are you doing that yourself? Are you yeah, I'm actually, actually building them. That's yeah, I crazy. Mean, some of it's like been done by a company because I can't do it, like I can't like cut steel with a laser because I haven't got a laser. But you know the rest of it. We're all assembled when you here did and Superman the movie, did you not I learn to take lasers Superman from four. your eyes? <laughs> did you do Superman Zod? <laughs> um, um, so you can't do everything, obviously. So you want to set set this watch company up? Can I have uh, a plan? I want. Can you have a watch? I will advertise it. I'll put it on yeah. my Twitter feed <laughs> and tell everyone that it's... How many um, How many followers does this podcast have, Giles? Nearly 10,000. Right. Well, I mean, this, is, this has got to be enough for a watch, right? What we're that's doing just now? on Twitter. Um, yeah, that's even got said to be what it's called. free watch. Oh, oh, I tell you what, you can have a free watch if you do a voiceover now, right? You have okay, to say, you to say? Like, in your voiceover voice, yes, yes. like, plan our watches... PLM. I can't even spell it. I've got to learn to spell it before. You can't even spell plan our watches. It's your good company. at working watches, bad at spelling words. P L A N A R. Watches. Best to go on Instagram, really. Put that in. It's got a little red logo. But yeah, no, I, I want. You can have a free watch, but I want. A, I want you to do like a little advert for me. Okay, I'm ready. Because you know we're all about them now. Yeah. Everything about them. Okay, here we go. All right, all go. Right. Planner Watches. B-L-A-N-A-R Watches. Best to go on Instagram, really. <laughs> this is real. This is gold, mate. Mate, gold. if I don't get a free watch now, I am quitting. <laughs> so It's yours, mate. Thank you, thank you. So, I mean, me and you could talk for ages about how depressed we are and how the industry <laughs> is struggling. But I don't think people want to hear that. I think people want to know about George's new film, The Droving. So so shall we get to that episode? Shall we do it? Let's do it. All right. Let's go. This is this week's Filmmakers Podcast with George Popoff. Enjoy. Planner watches. (laughs) I'm in my studio, mate. I've got my desk out. Got SM58 pop shield. I like it, but how come it sounds so good in my ear? Is that because... Because it's my sexy voice. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. it sounds, sounds late-night radio. I love it. It does, Thank doesn't you. it? Yeah, yeah, George. Hi, George. Thanks for calling. Hey, hey buddy. How's it, how's it going? Long oh, time no see. It's really, really good. Welcome to Late Night Callers. Filmmakers oh, yeah. Apocalypse <laughs> Edition. You're going to spend m- midnight with me. <laughs> Are you lonely tonight? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all are, aren't we, I think. yeah. Everybody yeah. is these days. <laughs> That's it. We're all really lonely. Um, George, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Filmmakers Podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. Absolutely. And do you know what's really nice is you're returning hero because you came on the podcast uh, on episode I believe it's 26, and we're now on 160 something. And how cool is that? And you're now back because you've yeah. made another film. That's amazing. You remember you remember the number, which which is very very dear to me. That's amazing. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, I might be wrong there. Wait, so it's, <laughs> I don't uh, know. Twenty six sounds good enough, but yeah, it's twenty eight actually. There you go. Twenty eight. Right. I was wrong. So wow. twenty eight. And Andrew Roger, who is here as well, which is hello. Nice. <laughs> hello. I'm here as well. <laughs> So um, yeah, this is great fun. I love the fact that we were we were talking about hex a year and a half ago. You know, and the fact that you got that out there in the world, and you made that for one thousand pounds less. That was really. that was the case. Yeah, amazing, an amazing, amazing achievement. So let's before we talk about your your next film, um, which is delightful, The Droving, which is a delightful little film, wonderfully well made. Before we Thank get there, I wanted to talk a little bit about Hex and the journey for you releasing that movie and what happened for you to build up to to The Droving, because. I think that's fascinating for our audience to know that, yeah, you went off and made that, but we want to know what the success was. How did it get received? How did you put it out there into the world? Since we talked, it was um, fairly straightforward, which is very surprising. Of course, um, distribution was quite a journey, as it always is. Um, Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, because at the time we just uh, have come out on Amazon Prime 
and that was and that was a really good uh, in, you know initial success because there was a lot of audience you know from the get go, and uh, we were getting some good reviews from some you know pretty you know renowned critics. It was it, it, that was great, um, and then after that we were um, trying to push the film to get it distributed even more territories and uh, even more platforms. Um, so how did so, you go about doing that? Because I suppose you know a lot of our mm, filmmakers out there go well i can get it on amazon yeah. myself here how do yeah. you go further and get it out there in the world well the thing is i mean one one of the things to know for everybody who's trying to get their film on their own to amazon uh amazon video direct mm-hmm. is that um i don't want to sound like a little bit dour on it but i, I think like that train's kind of kind of gone and left the station mm-hmm. uh you can still do it and i still think it's a pretty great um way to get your film out there but i think that's about it when you do it on your own and uh for us at that stage just to be able to get it like right away out for everybody to watch uh that was the that was the right decision but when we wanted to make like the next step then we started to shop around for different sort of uh you know distribution companies that would deal with the indie films and mainly put them on platforms Mm -hmm. um because i think Amazon's focus gradually will start getting less towards um, being able to put any film out there uh, on it, uh, and it will become a bit more curated. And already already, ha- already has been, and that's um, something that you will only know if you have that kind of distribution backup of people who have who have specific contracts with them and deals, and um, they will be able to see it from a more of an ego eye view, if you know what I mean. Yeah, totally. So yeah, so what did you what did you manage to do how did you go about getting it out there further into the world well i mean i mean the interesting thing was uh when that happens and if you get like a film out where um you get some you get some decent reviews you get some reviews from from uh you know uh like we did from kim human someone who writes for empire and so on and so forth and mm-hmm. you get a little bit of start getting a little bit of rep in your social media expense you might get contacted by you know a few distribution companies or sales agents Yes, and that will be very exciting uh, for everyone, but you probably shouldn't be because mm-hmm. um, because they have is... assistants sending out emails to anyone who's got a film that yeah. gets released or goes on Amazon and says, "Hey, is it distributed in this territory?" Absolutely. And you go, "Oh my god, how exciting!" Exactly, and, but... and and it's like for the first time when you're being asked to dance at the prom. Probably the first few guys are perverts, you know, if you're a girl, you know, like it's <laughs> it's yep. the same uh, thing. I wasn't first to ask. Andy, were you first to ask or were you the girl in last, this situation? Definitely the last. Definitely. <laughs> no, you're there. <laughs> Did you have long hair and a beard then, though? So. I always had long hair and a beard, you know that. <laughs> when you were born. I love that. <laughs> yep. When I was born, I wasn't going to many dances, though. A late bloomer. No, yeah, with dances, yeah. I was a later bloomer as well. Yeah. See, that's know. it. That's it. I, th- I think the good ones are always late bloomers. I, th- I think it's with dis- <laughs> distributors. That's the same thing. I, that's that's the way I would see it because mm-hmm. the first few ones will try to kind of probably probably will try to exploit the fact that you knew and you don't know much about it. So there, there's going to be a few deals where they say like, "Hey, look, we're going to do a lot of great, you know, marketing for you." And then you get 30% off of the back end and we get the rest because we were going to put a lot of money into it. And um, that sounds great if they're actually going to do that, but they don't. And you probably shouldn't say yes to that. Do you want to explain a little more to our listeners why you think that? Yes. Sorry. I mean, the thing is, it's because, uh, I mean, out of experience, I don't want to, I don't want to mention like specific names because they might have changed their, their policies. Mm-hmm. But in both in the UK and especially in the US, there is a there is there is a good amount of distribution companies. At least there was, you know, those were still floating around before, uh, you know, this all happened, and it probably you know kind of burned a little bit of uh, of the of the bad behavior. Oh, I think um, yeah, I think Corona has, has stopped a lot of uh, the sort of sales and distribution arm yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I think and I think one of the few positives is that. A lot of a lot of harm has been done to the good guys, but I think a lot of harm has been done to the bad guys because they are, mm. uh, you know, everybody who's trying to be some sort of predatory or give you a bad deal. I think that's all that they're counting on because they're not going to build any future rep with filmmakers and they're just trying to get it, um, kind of, you know, get the right deal from the from the beginning. And I think it's just like with everything in life. I think you do need to shop around a little bit before you can make an opinion of where you are at your level 
because I think us filmmakers, our mindset's never in the middle. We're always kind of like, oh my God, I made it, or I'm nothing. And and um, when you're <laughs> at that stage, I think it's very easily when someone someone comes to you and says, well, here's a deal for you to believe, well, this deal is probably better than what I can get at my level. I've just made one movie. I mean, we have some good reviews and stuff, but you know, we want to get further on. So you're ready, you know, ready to say yes to almost anything. And I mm. think, yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't know quite where you are until you've um, tried to reach out to people that you might think are way above your level. You have to try to punch above your weight a little bit to know where you stand. That's good advice, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think yeah. a lot of people get this whole, well, I made a movie. It cost yeah. me um, my parents money or whatever it is, yeah. 30, 100 grand, let's say. And they go, oh, there's a deal on the table here. And they're going to offer mm. me MG that don't really exist. But let's say they did. Hmm. Oh, 30 grand. You go, oh, my God, let's take it. But yeah. then your film now hasn't made any money. So it, it's it's that your eyes, it's like seeing the chocolate cake on the table, isn't it? The yeah. vegan one, obviously. And going, <laughs> oh, I've, I must I must have all of that because it's there. And if not, it'll go off or whatever. But it, it's, yeah. it might not be right for you because yeah. you're not going to feel terrible afterwards and you should just get the runs. Yeah, and they'll really try to make you believe that that's the case on their end as well. They'll say, like, you're not going to get a much better de- deal than this. Uh, th- this is how it oh, goes. Yeah. This is how it's always been. And I think there is a lot of just kind of leftover of, of that kind of like early 2000s, end of late late mm. 90s kind of uh, yeah, I'll buy it, your film off the festival type. Of totally. Thing. And that whole method, it's changed now so yeah. much. And you can distribute your film and you can go directly to mm. distributors. The whole sales agent side Absolutely. of things, especially in the indie film world, has changed. You, you don't yeah. necessarily need one. You can go do it, or you can put it on your platforms. Uh, you can true. go to uh, aggregators that are out there, the good ones, and the say, ones. "Let's put this out, please." You know, um, yeah. there's definitely ways of doing that. We almost put Hex out with the stripper, like that was wow. Close. I almost you... did that. Really? But this is this is the thing though with the stripper, and I'm not trying to say that I'm super smart when it comes to those things. But at the time, I was thinking, say, "Hey, look, we have an aggregator, right? Like mm-hmm. we pay a, a lump sum at the beginning that they put it out. I get a hundred percent of those things." Yep. For uh, some things that I had to do in my life at some point, I had to work in the, the, the stock market industry for a little bit. And um, I always like saw it that way of, of um, look, if you're not taking a cut from the investment, if you're not making, taking a cut of the profits, why do I should believe that you really have the best intentions in mind? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my distributor, if my distributor is not taking a cut from my earnings... I'm really doubting the amount of effort they're going to put in. That's a good um, point. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's true. They're just going to put it along with another list of films that they've got. Why yeah. were they offering you? They didn't want any money for it. I've not heard that. Well, no, I mean, uh, sorry, that was just in terms of the aggregators. I think oh, a I lot see. of aggregators okay. will, will, will take just, uh, I mean, even now, uh, there, a lot of the good aggregators have left. They They do take some cut in order to be able to, you know, uh, keep their servers going and keep everything operating. As it's like, oh, we'll tell, we'll, we'll take twenty percent, we'll take ten percent, we'll take something. Mm-hmm. And, and and that distributor, for example, they didn't take anything from the beginning, and that was my little red flag when I was thinking. Yeah, like, you saw something that, but what they do is they obviously have something in the contract that says, mm. you know, if it makes this much, we're getting this, and yeah. you can often not see a penny. Yeah, um, and that's Absolutely. the big worry. And so people who don't know distributor were an aggregator, which is basically a, a middleman who will put mm. your film out to the Netflixes and everywhere else that they think it can go. And if it does go anywhere, they will take a supposed to take a percentage of that. But yeah. often the contracts were done in such a way, and you have to be so clever, and that's why it's called the film business is to understand that side of things so that you can go hang on a minute this is not correct um and distribute one of them and they went under and a lot of indie filmmakers lost their films and this is something to make sure you have in the contract that says that if they go under if that film company the distributor or the sales agent goes under the film rights come back to you it has to say that otherwise it gets lost in a whole litany problem and you'll never might never see your film again so that's something vital to put any filmmaker put that in every pretty much contract you do if they go under the film comes back to you Absolutely. No, that's that's definitely the case. And, and I think uh, a lot of uh, what you asked me earlier about how to make sure that you're maybe lending on the right one, because it's very hard to judge, is I think uh, ask fellow filmmakers, see other people mm-hmm. who are being distributed by them. 
um, listen to podcasts, not, you know, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> just saying, absolutely. but that's absolutely true. You, 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 you guys are doing a very important duty out there for, uh, every one of us, um, that, you know, there is a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of conversation about distributors, who's using who, uh, and then just do a little bit of research, uh, see who else is there. What's their experience has been, uh, is there communication? Communication is very important. Like any distributor that, you know, it doesn't care how quickly you're going to, answer there there is a problem there uh, yeah. i mean as even the ones that are very busy like they might not the email back might not be as long as the email that you sent but they'll respond right away because they do care about those things because they're making that cut from it as well yes and they absolutely. want the best for your marketing they want the best for everything because that's what keeps them alive that's what keeps them going those are the people that you need uh mm-hmm. and you have to make sure that it's obvious that they know more than you do because that's I think that's in everything in filmmaking, especially as a director. I think you know that very well. Just surround yourself with people who know more than you do in the specific areas. And it's the same thing with your distributor. If they're talking to you about stuff and about marketing, for example, and everything that they're saying is something that you already know about, uh, I don't know. What's the point? I mean, it's, it's it's an interesting angle, and I totally agree. In you should always try and surround yourself with people who are, are better or more talented than you. Absolutely, yeah. it's only going to make you look better. Mm. I think though, filmmakers do fall down when they don't understand the film business side of it, and it's True. taken me years to do it. And luckily, doing this podcast where I managed to speak to so many people and talk to people and doing the make your film events where we are getting people on who do talk about exactly how to distribute it correctly and where are these pitfalls and what to look out for and if you don't know that this is where it can be a major problem especially in distribution i think hey if you've got a brilliant dp like andy or you have with harry you kind of Hmm. yeah exactly who you (laughs) kind of go well yes they're you're harry young who's your Hmm. cinematographer Mm. uh, for the droving and for hex and i think you go yes I want them to be as top of their game. So, yeah, yeah, they can go, this lens would be better, Giles. But for the business side of it, I I do think that filmmakers need to be on their game. I really think this is where a lot of people lose a lot of money. Yeah. And they lose their film. It goes. It's not theirs anymore. No, it's true. No, I I absolutely agree with you. I I just meant, like, uh, it's more like uh, all of that, you have to have all of that knowledge that you're talking about. And that's where you're going to know what you don't know. And you're going to know what you will never know. Like, for example, when they deal directly with with a, a lot of the platforms and you have to know enough to be able to ask the right questions and you have to know when they're bullshitting you you have to know when you know they're spinning things around to know if they're trying to be uh disingenuous so yeah absolutely mm-hmm. i agree with you you have to have as much knowledge on the business side as you can but at the same time you have to you know look for people who that's that's 100 percent of their time yep now you're right so what did you do then what how did you go about getting hex further out there in the world First of all, when you go, I'm a, a prime video direct, like you have uh, access to about four territories. You have UK, US, Germany, and Japan. And unless you have your film pretty much dubbed in German or, or Japanese, mm-hmm. you're probably not going on those two. So you kind of have like just US and UK, which are the biggest ones, which is great. But yeah. within the rights, just on the English speaking side, we're doing about 80. So if there is a country that speaks somewhat good English, uh, we're there. Um and then on top of that, you have a, a bunch of other platforms that are not just Amazon that you will never get access to, uh, that are particularly bigger in, in the US. Um, and they're all up and rising right now. Like you have Tubi, you have just now Peacock, which is the universal and NBC platform. Mm. Um, you're going to have IMDb TV, which is that there is a whole, uh, you know, new kind of it seems like the, the, the kind of the weather is shifting a little bit from your usual subscription VOD uh, to very popular AVOD platforms, which means mm-hmm. advertising video on uh, demand, uh, which just to kind of say it for the listeners is the way that it works is the platforms are absolutely free. You know, you basically get Netflix for free, but there are going to be ads in it. Just mm-hmm. still less ads than on, you know, you get on your network, but that's basically what pays for the film. And a lot of these platforms um, are doing pretty well. Mm. it's a new model and it's really interesting and i think a lot of filmmakers especially now having a film ready to go should look at these platforms i think it's it's really important to know about them at least whether you want to go with them it's it's understand what they're doing and understand what they're trying to do well good that sounds excellent sounds brilliant so then as Mm. far as you know 
has it done quite well what's i mean the reviews were brilliant anyway because of the fact you made it for a grand which should be um but it also (laughs) held up the story made sense and it held up and it was great and very well acted and all that so do you do what do you what did you learn from that that you brought into the droving let's say that you you know you took from it i think it was uh, on on the on the kind of the business and marketing side, and then the distribution because we're still on that topic. Uh, I think um, the main thing is is was um, you try to definitely think about your marketing from the get go before you even write the first letter of absolutely yeah you know your script totally and and I think and I think when we're just you know use words like you know marketing and this and target audience and da 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 like it's at some point you're thinking like the, the, for a lot of people, that's like I, you do that after post production. That's part of you know when you're doing your marketing, right? No, <laughs> no not at all. And 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 we knew we knew a lot of that, like even when we made Hex, but not to the degree of then once you've done it, uh, then what, how much you can actually do and prepare for before the next one, because and once you have like a good relationship with the distributor, then you can really are free to think and really plan things ahead because uh, now you can then plan for what can be a second or a third or anything after that, just depending on, you know, where your ambition lies uh, in terms of uh, when you can release, knowing that you can do that and what time of the year it's going to be. If you, you know, obviously if you're planning ahead with uh, all the dates of, if you're doing something seasonal, for example, is that going to factor into your marketing uh, but knowing which platforms you're going to be at and you can really kind of uh, start to do a good plan direction for, uh, you know, everything that you're dealing with, especially if you, if you, you know, like we are, you also have uh, your own production company. Mm, I totally agree. And what's really interesting with this is that you mentioned there you could speak to the distributors again yeah. and you've gone with the same distributors, Indie mm-hmm. Rights. So, and I hope I, I'm I'm really interested to see what you did here. Were you thinking about that from the beginning and saying, well, let me let me talk to, to Indie Rights here, my distribution company, yes. and say, would you be interested in this even before you'd uh, pretty much put pen to paper? Yeah, no, absolutely. Amazing. I mean, we kind of, there's probably a bunch of things that I'm going to say that Linda's going to hate me about. It's like, why did you say that? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but it should be known for fellow indie filmmakers. But I kind of thought that she would go for another one you know, yeah. if we if 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 we made and if we made it right, if we made something on the level of or above hex, I felt like you know just just from empirical, you know, you try. I mean, you know, worked with hex, so if it's on the same level or better than it, you know, it should should work again. So I was quite confident that we'll be able to to um, lend with them again, and um, because I mean, here's the thing, and uh, again, why it was a bit of a surprise that we even were able to go with them. Um, uh, with them and they get this kind of very knowledgeable great track record hollywood distributor is because hex was already out for about a year um mm. or you know with someone else and it was already just been kind of like lingering on 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 amazon you had months that it did well some months that it didn't do so well because you know we didn't really uh you we were still in that flux of trying different people out there is a relationship that a filmmaker but on their own will never have with the platform. And I think that's what everybody just needs to understand when when they're self-distributing. There is a lot and a lot, a lot of positives to self-distribution. And I was always a big fan of it. And that's why we went with it on Hex. And I love the fact that we tried it, but I also not probably do it again unless it's a, for the right project. Like you said, with Food for Thought, that's a documentary. Mm-hmm. There, There is a lot there that's very specific. You have a very, uh, you know, you have a good personal connection to it yourself. And, you know, you have your podcast. There, There is ways of how self-distribution can w- uh, work for a particular project for a particular filmmaker. Um, but it's just, you know, let's say it that way. If you're a platform, would you rather send 10,000 emails to 10,000 people and spend all that time and really micromanage it? Or would you rather just send one to you know, a distributor that does everything for you. You have that middleman that you'll be able to sort out everything. Uh, and they're always, always going to favor having that a buffer and um, that relationship with people that they know. And the next day they can go on Hollywood Boulevard and, and, and drink their coffee and, and make sure that everything is okay. Where you might be in Timbuktu making your movie and they're not going to spend that time to get that 
to give you really the keys to the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's fascinating. It's It really is something you have to be aware of. And I love that you say you have to think about your distribution mm. before you set pen to paper. Who really needs to see this movie, yeah. uh, you know, set in an estate in... Uh, Andy, where where do you live? <laughs> in Tring. Tring, yeah. Tring. Who needs to see that? I mean, you know, there's maybe a small audience for the Tring Film Festival. Yeah. Is there a Tring I, Film I, Festival? I would, uh, there isn't, but maybe there should be. Mm, maybe you can say But only just for about this. films made about Tring. About Tring. With, yeah. With, yeah, so there you go. But you need to actually, start it. Yeah, so we start this. But so you do have to think about it because... As much as you think that film might be amazing, unless you've got a James McAvoy in it or a Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch, or whatever, you can't sell it. it. People just don't want to watch these. They can't make money. So you really have to think about it from the off. You know, if you're going to make a really low budget indie with no one in it, great. That's fine. That's what you're doing. Um, but no, if you're going to, it's got to have a meaning. It's got to have a, an audience who might like this type of film. If it's a thriller yes. or you really have to think about that target audience. Mm -hmm. So with the droving then, which is really exciting. Uh, I love the fact that you made a second feature and you kind of just went, yeah, I can do this now. And I loved well, watching it. I thought it was, I thought it was really well made. I really love the long shots. I love the silences. I love the beautiful cinematography with some of these shots. It was just, it was really delightful to watch. Thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tell us about the story then. Tell us how you came up with it and why you wanted to, to do this story. Because you wrote it with Jonathan Russell, who yes. serves as your producer on this as well. Um, tell us, tell us the story of the droving. Well, the droving is, is the story of, um, um, a guy who comes back from the military back to England. He's been away for a while, uh, but he's back because his uh, sister has gone missing um, a few months ago um, during a strange traditional festival called the Droving in the kind of, uh, rural parts of England. And um, it's basically we follow his journey to find out what has happened. So um, it's a very kind of like of a classic story in many ways and you have some 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 wicker men in there you have some dead men shoes which i have to say embarrassingly i've never seen um, <laughs> I, I love it but you're like it's got some dead man shoes in there exactly that's what well, i've so been I told <laughs> after people have seen it so right yeah i'd say watch that film because it's fantastic i know i know i know i was afraid to watch it watch though because I, I knew of it before and then i saw that you know we're kind of in the same lane and i'm always careful of the, just kind of watching things that are too close um because you never want to get like too inspired but uh now i'm free now i can watch it and enjoy you know it. what i really like that you said that because it's not something we've talked about on the podcast much andy is it the fact that when people say oh it's a bit like that or it's like this we yeah. can be we're influenced by films right and you are andy as, as you know a cinematographer mm, sure. looking yeah. at something you go well it's i like that me and you always do that we send each other images and uh, ideas of what it should look like and clips from other films and stuff but if you watch a movie that's very similar to yours just before, you can be really influenced rather course, than it's yeah. the influence being in the back of your mind, right? P people always say that the dare looks like, or is like Saw, don't they? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've never seen Saw. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, pe um, people but, think of like the yeah. first thing that makes sense. Like if, if you have like a, some story element or you have something that's kind of quite obvious, like sure. they automatically think that that's, the, that, that's it. Uh, I mean, a lot of people will like compare it like Hex with like a field in England. And, and I was mm. like, I guess Civil War, but that's it. You know, like I, I didn't really. But you're right. I think people just do. It's like when you pitch a story and we should do this all the time, by the way, he's constantly be pitching our ideas. And as much as mm. we get scared and worried that someone's going to steal it and so unlikely they're going to sit with pen and yeah. paper and write it down. It might be something that goes in a drawer in the back of the head years later. Well, there's nothing you can do about that. It's years later. But the more you're pitching your idea, the better you become at it and what you realize what works and what doesn't. So if you're in the pub telling your mates, well, I've got this great story and it's about this, that and the other, they'll go, oh, what you mean like? that film and you go all oh, right shit yeah. <laughs> yeah but if you don't pitch it you don't know that and it's no. like you say george as soon as you'd say this is what the story is about they go oh you mean like dead man's shoes yeah um and everyone's gonna do that because it's an instinct reaction isn't it yes. that andy like yes. uh, the dare's yeah. like saw well it's nothing like saw but it's absolutely. got elements of the saw yeah. films because absolutely i mean hurt. we all love the comparisons when then when the, when the, when the critics put it in the reviews and like that gets your audience in we love them then but like mm -hmm. in pre-production you hate it like when people <laughs> said so you're like it's definitely like it you haven't seen it's, it yet it's just like battlefield earth oh yeah, yeah. oh oh i was conquering galaxies yeah. 
Yeah, no chance. Okay, so how did you come up with the story? Why this story? Well, of the uh, droving, there was. I mean, th- there was an element again of uh, we were thinking of not because, like, both me and Jonathan love period pieces, and Hex was obviously one, and that that was you know part of the big challenge. And um, I- I'm I'm a big fan of fairy tales and fantasy, and you know, kind of dark stories, and that's where my of natural feelings lean towards um and i uh, i thought it would be quite curious and interesting to try to do something that's modern day that still has some of that vibe but you you wouldn't even know right away from the premise it's like mm-hmm. how about if we try to do that seems like a like a genre fair of your you know usual thriller or folk horror or anything that's uh in that realm but try to imbue that kind of same sensibility that i was trying to kind of attack with 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 hex but um you know make more of a more of a a straight film that kind of everybody to enjoy to some degree because um hex like with all all of its good stuff it it, it is a bit of a marmite film i mean you know there is some people who would watch it and say oh it's great it reminds me of tarkovsky and malik and stuff but there is a bunch of people who watch a horror film and they're not at all expecting malik and tarkovsky influence yeah (laughs) and uh true they're not going to go with it. Um, so uh, we wanted to do something where those those amplitudes are not too too high, and, and you kind of get the the best of both worlds. And uh, I I was always interested in in kind of investigative films when you have a character who's slowly unraveling a story, and such a good narrative device to also go more into the psychology of of the person who's of your main character who's doing that. Mm. And and I always love the idea of like the more you uncover, the more he uncovers about the story, the more you uncover about him. And I think that's a lot what the droving is 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 really kind of structured around and about. And you you know in a similar way to with Hexy, you might think it's one type of film, it's about one thing, but you know you'll see that the, there there is a bigger moral ambiguity about the whole the whole mm. thing. Mm-hmm. And um, a huge inspiration, I mean, is always is like I always start from. Just, just places and and visuals, and you know, I guess that was obvious in Hex, and probably even more so. But um, we had um, a get together of the whole cast and crew about Hex in the Lake District when it was actually coming out first on our premiere. Uh, it was seventeen eleven seventeen when it first came out, and we all got together and uh, we went to some. You know, there was there was a wonderful like lantern festival in Ambleside, and we all had a great time. Mm. And I was just looking at, you know, the way that the crowd there was weaving and they had all these lanterns and that great, like, Lake District landscape. And um, I just imagined, like, oh, that would be a great, you know, it would make a great backdrop for a, for a chase in a dark thriller. I mean, that kind of juxtaposition of light and dark and, you know, this place is quite moody, but everybody's happy. And I just love that juxtaposition of it and um later on like that came back to me in my mind it's like well, how about we make a, a, an atmospheric thread that's set in the lake district and we use um those locations in that way and i think it's because um bulgarian as you know and mm-hmm, you, 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 are you are very familiar with uh, that interesting nation uh, <laughs> with the crazy Great nice. second home yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly uh the same thing with Hex is like, you know, they, they often they ask me, you know, when you do interviews and stuff, why, you know, you're Bulgarian, like why English Civil War? Why like things that are, or English folklore, things that are all so specific to, to, to a country? And, I, and my answer is like, that's exactly why is because to me, that's exotic and it's alien. I love and... that that's exotic and alien, but it, you're so right. It's like when me and Andy look at uh, something, you know, there's a project we're looking at at the moment or whatever, and you mm. sort of, you go, oh, look at that, it looks amazing. But for the people yeah. who live there in Texas yes. or wherever we're looking at, they go, nah, it's not, it's not <laughs> yeah, exotic. Yeah. Britain <laughs> yeah, is exotic. Yeah. The Lake District is exotic. You know, I grew up very near there, and it's it's yeah. it's wonderful. And yeah, I absolutely. thought you captured it brilliantly, but you're right, it's oh, not. thank you. The fact you're saying exotic to me, even Bulgarian Andy, and to some extent, mm, oh, looks yeah. exotic because of the light and the imagery there, right? Andy? I know that's that's yeah. the thing, and that's why I think I'll always be interested of your version of the film that's a lot about Bulgaria than mine, mm-hmm. because because like I want to see it through our, through our eyes, for example, you know, like like I want I want to see like what 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 Giles Alderson from the UK sees Bulgaria as like because that's so many different views. 
Yes. Location scouts probably one of my favorite things to do, you know, or, or Absolutely. Part of filmmaking. You, you found some amazing locations. I, I was like, wow, we found that little house or a little hut or whatever it is, Thank little you. slate building, if you like, yeah, in the middle of the Lake District, the imagery you use, the areas you use, the caves, mm. all that sort of stuff was just nice. really intriguing. And you must have spent quite a lot of time walking around and finding them. It is. Um, it's great. Uh, quite dangerous as well. A lot of it. <laughs> quite steep and uh, uh, Yeah. Well, slippery. when me and Andy were in Wales shooting King Arthur, there was a little bit of that, mm. wasn't there, Andy? There was a lot of that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not falling off cliffs and falling <laughs> yeah, down the, hills and yeah. stuff like that. Stuff Are over. these caves really safe at the bottom here? Is there an actual ghost in this one <laughs> george you mentioned tarkovsky um yeah I, I can see that in a lot of the big wide shots used of uh, the landscapes and it's oh, very fun. beautiful is it was that a deliberate kind of going into production was that a, something you talked about with your dp or was that something that just kind of evolved i don't think for for uh, the drawing we've deliberately been looking at it uh in detail but it's just me and harry uh love films like stalker and solaris sure. and uh, sure. all of those things and it's just part of our nature it's for us it's hard not to talk about it mm -hmm. uh so if anything like sometimes i'm trying to nullify it be like okay enough of that like, i don't, don't want to be like in Yaritu, and then there's like five shots in you know the revenant which are exactly from stalker i'm like <laughs> i love you man i love you but you know could it be more subtle there yeah. Mm -hmm. um but you know it's always part of this i think uh, i i think like you know there is a lot of different preparation i've done for for hex and the drone they have nothing to do with each other but i think for every film there's always a bunch of uh you know uh, you know I, I i play skyrim watch tarkovsky movies mm. and then listen to early genesis and i think that goes into all <laughs> all of them eventually early genesis i love it uh, how did you set out to go well look you made your first movie mm. for a grand and i imagine uh, fingers crossed that some came back to the filmmakers on that yes. because yeah it did well right it yeah did... yeah I, I would say so especially for its budget i think yes it, it wasn't enough to build your whole kind of uh, you know the whole filmmaking career in the production company around it but i don't think your first film's supposed to do that unless you did blair witch project or no exactly you know. Yeah, it's all sore. Yeah, exactly. No, I hear mm. that. For for you then to raise the actual mm. money then to make the droving, how did you go, right, okay, well, I don't want to make a film for a grand again, sure. right? So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, again, you still had a really small crew, like yeah. really small, so you did it very similarly to how you made Hex, really small crew. What, what, how did you go about going, how am I going to raise the money for this? How am I going to set up shop? How, where, we're shooting in all these places in the late district, Tell us your process of actually hmm. making the movie. Sure, yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's it's like I really want to want to say that something that's going to be very useful for all the listeners by saying like, "Hey, I went to specifically that person." That's what we did. It's like the the, the truth is, we just kind of used all the money that we had, that which is from other stuff and from Hex. So we kind of just immediately brought back everything in. Um, we didn't use any of it. <laughs> so right. other other than just to make the next film but we're just like okay if we if we invest this now into another film that shows that we are now on a different level and then if we keep doing that every single time you know like you know we are hoping to see that as as, as progress um so i mean the the drawing is i wouldn't i wouldn't like again by standards of, of independent filmmaking is still you know cheap very uh, but it it is it is more than hex. But it, I think it was all about how we how we use the money. As you said, the, the the crew was still small. It was all of them was pretty much pretty much everybody from hex came back. That's incredible. That I love that you kept your little team together. I think that's that's really cool. Yeah, yeah I like that. Was, definitely. Me and Andy work together a lot. You get to know your DP oh, yeah. Harry Young even more. Yeah. You understand He's great. What, what you like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you want to say how much the budget was, or are you not prepared to because it's not sold in every territory yet? Yes, yeah. I, I mean, like I've been, I've been told from a few. Uh, look, I'm just the director, man. Like there are smarter people than me. Says so like you can say this, you can say that. Oh, oh, I can. I will be able to disclose it at some point. But at this stage, I can say like it is. It is a budget that you know. It it is more than just a, a thousand pounds. Um, but one thousand and one. <laughs> yeah, well, it could be anything between one thousand and one. And twenty thousand, you're probably hitting it right. Great, so, great. Yeah. Well, that's you know, um, would... at least it's a, it's a it means that you can 
feed people. It means that you can put people oh, yeah. up, right? And that's what's important. And you guys can not be worried about when you come back to your houses mm. after three weeks, that at least there's something on the table for you guys. And I think that's what's important, right? As filmmakers, absolutely, absolutely. Is to go yeah. the next step. With each film you make, you have to always be trying to step up, whether that is working with the right people or working, you know, it, just because the budgets might go up and down. But as long as you're making something that uh, makes you move forward as a filmmaker. We always, always just end up on a, in, in a bathroom on a gas station somewhere or on an Apple box. <laughs> Is uh, this a date? Is this a bad date? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Look, even when you're having like a lot of money, I think we'll come back to those moments at some point. So yeah, no, absolutely. You have it's, to. It's um, so how did you, <laughs> bringing it back around again, how did you find your locations? That obviously, you went around and, and sourced them. How did yeah. you get a, approval to shoot in these places that look fabulous? All the houses you got. Mm. Were you staying mm. there? I mean, yeah, I mean, the thing is, uh, I'll, I'll start with like, what's the linchpin of it? And uh, which I have to say is that a version of our festival exists uh, that we shot at. So yeah, everything the... was built around that because in the, you know, I mentioned inspiration being that uh, Lantern Festival in Ambleside. We used a little bit of, of the one uh, of that one again, but that was just for some additional shots. But the the bulk of it was um, shot at a festival that's called the Winter Droving in Penrith in the Lake District. Got and, basically, um, so people don't know these festivals are people are dressing up. They do mm -hmm. have lanterns and fire sticks down the streets, oh, yeah. and they are banging drums, and they all dressed up in different outfits and masks and stuff and dancing, just so people can picture that oh, down course, a really yeah. small, wonderful village in the Lake District. Picture that, absolutely, and and and. Uh, so everything started from there in terms of uh, because the festival is uh, late October, just um, just before Halloween. Um, everybody gets there together at the night. So that started putting a lot of um, kind of our plans together of, uh, OK, we know that we want to shoot around that time and we know that we want to incorporate it. We're just going to do kind of like our askew version of that festival and then use um you know that vibe and everything that's happening here because the people love it and i think it's becoming bigger and bigger every year and it seems like with our film now we're bringing even more people to it which you know that makes me very proud that more and more people will know about it so uh and i think it, it's definitely worth it and it's not as horribly creepy as it seems in the film so you can bring your kids um you know, i remember you have going to, wear to so one in masks. um I remember going to one in Whitby in Yorkshire. I remember going there and they, they had this big dragon and this big festival and it frightened me as a kid. I mean, I must have been six or whatever, but it was still magical. The big fire and the drums going. And I do remember that feeling of, and it just mm. passed through the village and the sea in the background and the mountain stuff. It was, you know, it was really, it stuck with me. So when I saw this, the droving, I was like, mm. ah, you captured it really well. and You captured the people. Oh, thank you. Um, did you get permission then to shoot a lot of that stuff or were you just like, oh, I'm going to shoot it? <laughs> it it's, it's, you, you have to be like when you're shooting at events, you usually have to be careful of, uh, you know, if there is you're shooting the faces of individual people. I mean, by law, that's kind of what it's got. Like if you need the you need the consent of person, if you can you know see their face or if you're, you know, if you're capturing them doing something that's, you know, not everybody should see. I know I know it, that says it a little bit kind of iffy, but even in the laws like this. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, everybody's in masks, so that makes things quite easy because um, yes, you don't have course. to go individually to every Jack and Jill and be like, "Hey, you know." And hey, and, and also, yeah, yeah. Can you do you want to do you want to be in it? And uh, and uh, just the, the overall vibe of of uh, we have we have support of the um, of the actual uh, Eden festival. Arts, which is which is the place that organizes the festival, and they've been you know you know quite helpful. Um, so that's, that's always good to have, uh, you know, someone who is just, uh, you know, a buddy, buddy organization to, you know, for them to get excited about that you're doing it anyway. Yes. But, I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot of, a lot of films that have been made with people like even kind of like running and gunning, you know, during a festival, you just have to make sure that, uh, you know, you're not in the way of anything or you have to make sure that, you know, fits well into your film because you don't want it to look like, oh, I just shot some crowds, uh, production value. You know, there has to be a point of the film where you're building up to, and it still has to seem like th that's something that I like. That like a lot of the reviews they're saying, like, oh, I don't know if this is a real event or they actually made it into the film, um, mm. which is good because it is a real event, which is very exciting. But at the same time, people can't tell because we've shot it in a way and edited it, mainly edited in a way uh, where it can seem that it's purely from the world of the film, and you're not just like seeing people, you know, 
with ice cream in the background. No, totally. So because of that, then you had to shoot around a festival. Did you plan mm. your shoot uh, to go well to coincide with that? To go well, the festival's on the, the second Friday. So if yeah. we shoot all this before and then this after, is that what happened? Yeah, definitely. It was the the, the planning was a lot more um, you know based around that than something like with Hex. We had like more freedom there, and uh, it was definitely a longer shoot. I mean, Hex for it being you know, so cheap and such a small cast and everything, we can just shoot 14 days plus a couple of days of additional uh, of additional shooting, uh, mm -hmm. where this was, I would say, 23, 24 days altogether, um, nice. which is, I would say, is not bad for indie film, because um, I know some people who are trying to shoot films like in 10 days, in like 11, mm -hmm. 12, and that can get um, hairy. Oh, sure. I know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yep, it can. It can. Yeah. But it's doable. But interestingly, because I suppose what you've learned from Hex, mm. bringing onto the drove, and you're like, well, I can take more time or I can yeah. get the shots right because don't forget you are in the middle of nowhere. So True. it's going to rain a lot. You've got to think about time to get from that location to this one. And, you know, it, it definitely, yeah, there's a lot it, of driving around. And... It's not easy to do no. a, a movie like this at all it's not easy to make it look like you have a lot of locations and you, you mm -hmm. just you're trying to kind of uh, just kind of chisel away the indie vibe you know like <laughs> yeah. yeah so you obviously work with the same some of the same cast again which is just fantastic you know you have uh daniel aldroyd who is brilliant in hex is now your lead here martin in this and he's again yeah. wonderful in the movie you also had susie francis garton uh, again uh in both movies i, I I, I really like that you did that. Was that something you set out from the beginning to go, well, I, I want to work with these actors again? I mean, it, it's it's kind of like a similar thing with, you know, with stories or locations or anything. If you feel like you have actors um, that, you know, you've done the film with, then in a lot of times, you know, there I think there's filmmakers who are afraid of using the same cast again just so they don't get... Um, you know, pigeonholed into a certain well, yeah, vibe and also you say Sherriel doesn't look like it's just got oh, the same no, people. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's that's definitely the case. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Justin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, all right, cheers, Andy. <laughs> uh, but uh, if you if you see that there is so much in that actor that you can do a lot of different things with, I don't think you should be scared of that because you've already mm. built a relationship with them. I'm, I agree. But how does it work with your films? And I felt with uh, people like Dan and Susie, I was just scraping kind of the surface. Uh, scraping the, the barrel, ice. I thought you guys. I was scraping yeah, 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 the barrel. Yeah, 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 I was just, struggling. Yeah, <laughs> I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel. They will appreciate that joke <laughs> with casting them. I actually thought they were fantastic. I thought all your casts were Amy Tiger, uh, Bobby Robertson, um, Alexander King, and yourself as well. You appeared in it. Was yeah. that a conscious choice to say I'm going to be in half, this movie? Half conscious choice. Uh, it, that wasn't the idea from the beginning. It was just a little little role that I just didn't want an actor. Because I wanted the okay. focus to be on the act. Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> uh, I wanted I wanted the focus to be on the other actors in the scene, um, and also I needed someone that you know, kind of being racist towards myself, I guess, but someone with obviously foreign or with an accent and so on and so forth. And uh, mm. I just it was just an easy thing to make because I you know we were getting towards the the end of casting and we're still kind of missing someone for that role and we're going through some, you know options and none of them seemed quite right like it just always seemed like everybody's uh just felt a little bit off and johnny was like well why don't you you do it like that's you know you've done acting before seems you know easy enough right and i'm like yeah that is but also directing myself is not easy enough but let's talk about that how did you direct yourself what did you do i looked at yourself back and went oh god uh, yeah because I mean, it's horrible watching yourself. it is yeah definitely is but uh i'm sorry that every single one of my answers is going to be depends on Mm -hmm. da, da, da. but that's so much the case uh and that just points out you have to think about every decision i guess which is very exhausting but um but no that in this case it's just in that scene because it was one of the scenes in the films uh, uh you know not too much spoilers by saying that this is this is one of the flashback scenes that we have when we see uh martin interacting with his sister uh, and also with uh, with my character, who's just kind of like her goofy new boyfriend that's just there. Um, mm. You know, it was it was it was scenes that I wanted him to feel nothing like the rest of the film, and the rest of the film was very kind of like, as you said, you know, there's a lot of uh, atmosphere and, and and it's quite dark, and you know, you feel so much of the the location and trying to really make you feel like you're in the Lake District. 
I wanted like his memories of her and everything that's connected to it to feel like that was his escape and that was his kind of the, 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 a lot of the humanity trying to to push through and to feel nothing like it and be quite kind of Christmassy and vibrant and and and, uh, and different. So I felt as well that uh, the rest of the film there was there wasn't too much improvisation in terms of lines that we did. I mean, I always encourage the actors to to make the the lines comfortable for themselves if they if they feel like they do. Mm. But uh, but everybody was you know quite satisfied with the script and the characters enough that we were just pretty much just banging out the the, the pages. Uh, but for that scene, I specifically didn't want us to to write much and to make it feel like different from from the rest of the film and to make it feel more loose. Um, so in that case, it wasn't a bad thing that I was able to literally direct their dialogue by being part of it. So we just sat down at a table. We organized the uh, Christmas um, in the house uh, in November. We put up, you know, all the all the decorations. We had Amy. We had Dan. We had the whole crew. And just from the morning, we just sat down at the table and we started chatting and improvising things. I had a few, I have a few topics that we can we can raise that, that we kind of like make a conversation out of that were part of the um, that were part of like what we wanted to get at at the end of the conversation, which was scripted. But it was very loose and. Um, I would have been trying to do something like that from behind the camera anyway and just kind of help them with that dialogue and direct them. And it wasn't too bad that I was actually part of that scene, which made it easier for me as well because I wasn't looking at myself as like, oh, am I hitting my mark? Am I hitting my line? You know, just tr- really trying to completely Mel Gibson myself. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I was just be able to be more loose and, uh, you know, have the, the, you know, us just capture it and then edit it, which... Of course, my editor was very, very happy about that. That's how I approached the scene. So, Harry, your your DP was he involved in? Did you, was he obviously he was watching as well? Did you rely on him to let you know how you're getting on, or is that something yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I, I think I always at this point that I, I I know the crew and everybody enough that like I can you know trust their their opinion. They're not gonna you know go on on a tangent about something that's not relevant. Uh, right. in ter- but on top of that just Harry's guidance in terms of, uh, you know, how we would plan a shot and we'll frame it. Then I'll come back and I'll look at it t- together and he'll record it for a little bit. And then I'll check again and mm-hmm. make sure that it's, you know, um, you know, just, you know, being able to flip the monitor around and to see myself. Um, but, uh, you know, those were shots that we felt like quite comfortable with from, from, from the beginning. Yeah. So from a visual standpoint, it just wasn't the most kind of uh, tricky stuff in the whole film. Uh, and yeah, he has, he has a great gut about it. So I was definitely, and I can, I can trust him if he says, uh, sometimes I'll ask, Oh, is that all right? Like, should I lean in and should I do that? So, um, yeah, it definitely helps when you have like a DP that also understands storytelling. And I, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just gonna kind of pause for a bit because I think that's really important. Um, a lot, I feel like a lot of directors have been talking to just see a lot of the crew and especially the DPs are just like, well, you know, you just make sure you're using the right lens. And even I want to make sure I know that. And this is my framing. This is everything. And, uh, you know, I'm involved with all of this. But when you have someone uh, uh, pretty much on every level that also understand the, the story that you're trying to tell, that makes you don't have to ex- just explain every single decision. Yeah. Or or if you don't even want to explain, uh, they're not going to question it, uh, you know, without you even trying because they're on the same boat from the get go. Mm-hmm. Like and I approached the same thing with even down to the coloring and the score. I mean, I I wanted and I said that to my composer. I want you to color the film, and I said to the colorist, I want you to score the film. And I know that sounds terribly pretentious, but I did mean it, and they did understand what I mean of them yeah. trying to paint the same world also outside of just their means. And I think that's why we're getting some really great results there as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, lovely. I love that. Really nice and fascinating as well. Um, how was it working with the, like, say, the team again? Was it was it easy in that sense? Did was it not oh, a problem? Because and I what mean, did you, Giles? Do you because you 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 know as though at this point, do you feel like the second one's harder than the first one? Um, it was wetter, wetter, mm. definitely. I don't know. I feel really. Uh, torn between that because yeah. the dare was was ridiculously hard but that's because i put a lot yeah. of pressure on myself studio movie and all that but yeah knights of camelot was also a lot of stress but i suppose i <laughs> yeah. enjoyed myself a little more and i right I, I vowed myself after the first one 
the dare that I would enjoy myself on the right. next movie um, when I was directing. And I, see what, I see what you mean. Yeah, so I've, I definitely brought that to it. Just a little bit more of, well, this is what it is. Don't don't kill yourself over this. Yeah, you know, you can't help it if you can't get that location or it's raining all the time or. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, you, you can let you know? go more easily on the second one because you know that that's not the end of the world. Because mm, you know what it was yeah. like in the edit because you sat there in the edit and went, oh God, I, I worried so much about that. And actually, you, if you think of it as an editor while you're making the movie, then you go, well, I don't, that's all right. If I get that, great bonus. But Exactly. exactly. And that and, was a huge difference for and, me. And on the first film, you don't know that. Like, I don't, I don't no. care what anyone says. You can have done like 1,200 shorts, mm-hmm. but you never know if you have a film when you do your first feature until you see it in the edit, like yep, agreed, you yep. can be the most confident person in the world, but I'm sure that like Steven Spielberg, when he did duel and then he was like, I don't know if I have a film there. Definitely. Until, the Jaws. Until he, he had no that. idea. Absolutely. Yeah. He had no idea. And even when they had no idea if it was going to be a good movie or not, no idea, Yeah, yeah. but it's fascinating. We, we do learn every time we make something, which is why I say, uh, directors, DPs, actors should always be putting them, but grab a camera, put themselves on camera, and do something. Because the more you do, the oh, more yeah. likely you're going to learn. You just definitely, do. yeah. And that's why I'm jealous of DP and Andy working because you can jump from job to job. Whereas a director, oh, yeah. it's, it's much harder to do it, that. It, it is very hard. It's, it's very, and that's I think that's kind of ties in back into what I was trying to say. It's like so much harder to for you to assess yourself. Mm. I think as a director, it be, because it's such a fugazi job. Right, like it's 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 hard oh, to pinpoint. Like, like if if you're a DP, you can literally while you're shooting a scene, you can do a shot and you can look back at it. It's like oh, that wasn't good enough. Like I can I can do that better on Never the happened next to one. Me. Don't know what Never you happened to Andy ever. ever <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You you can actually self correct within this. With with as a director, you're seeing things so much from kind of like of a satellite bird's eye that that like by the time you really you know put together, have I really done as much as I can to to uh, kind of coincide with my original vision, by that time, by that point, already two years have passed mm. um, for you to learn all these lessons because there's so many individual little lessons to learn and it's so kind of like general. So it's definitely hard for us, for directors, to really be able to, like, in, in, at a good pace to to, to learn. But it, it, you have to. You, know, like you, you have do. To be able and to also what you've gone through and I have now mm. with the dare and in yeah. some sense of Circular's Guide to Life, we got the reviews through. Absolutely. That's when you realize you got a movie or not. You yeah. Know, you can sit there yeah. with your friends and watch it when everyone goes, yeah, that was great. Or even the studio, yeah. whoever, they sort of go, cool, well, we're going to put it out. You think, oh, I've got a movie. It's not until you get the reviews. It's not until you get real people who don't know anything about your movie or you yeah. or care. Yeah. And they say what they think about it. And that's yeah. when it's either that's, horrible or it's Yeah, great. that's 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 when you have crossed the, 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 the Rubicon. I mean, no, no pun intended towards our yes. company, but yeah. yeah. That's, that's so true. Uh, fascinating. So um, this has been uh, brilliant, George. Really interesting. I, I wanted to ask you about, um, because you had so many really good practical effects mm. and deaths in here. And again, this is a really low budget movie. This is something you shot. Again, you had a bit of time, but at the same time, there was a lot of moving around. In terms of the practical then, so, you know, yeah. you had some great throat uh, oh, yes. cuts I mean, and stuff and the masks. Was, um... They're amazing. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, um, in terms of in terms of the 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 sliced throat that you, you, you mentioned that, I mean, that was the, the practical effects actually quite simple. And I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, you know, simple practical effects because when you pull them off, right, they seem to just look the best in my opinion. And mm-hmm. uh, every time when you're trying to you be a bit too smart about it, then I'm not sure it always works on, on a level of, of those type of films. And, yeah. um, you know, literally a lot of it was a lot of, uh, kind of just tricky editing and, um, I'm pretty sure it was something to do with uh, one of those um, jogging drinking bags that you have, that you have like the little tube and then it goes into the patch where you like can just camel, drink while you jog. What do you call it? Cam- camel, camel pack? pack yes. Is that? Yeah. Camel pack? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I obviously runner, don't jog too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I started out. <laughs> I am today. Yeah. Point. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, it was that full of blood. Okay. And then, you know, put it under the, the, the hands of the actor when they're grasping their throat. You know, you put some pressure through it and uh, it looks like someone's jigger just got slashed. Okay. It's, um, it's, a, it's amazing what our minds do as well, especially 
if you see the flash of the knife and you see it oh, near yeah. someone's throat, you know, it might not even be a knife when they do you, you're pulling the hand across either. But your mind thinks there was a knife. Your mind thinks there was a you saw an open wound and blood splurts out, you know. But you can trick the audience so well because they've seen it in so many other movies. So they go, well, I know what's happening. And your mind can piece it together. So it's like you say, as long as it looks good and you're covering it with yeah. stuff, you believe it. Absolutely. Um, I mean, like... Uh, our committee said, like, what was it? You know, give me, give me a, a, a point of contact, and I'll lift the earth. And I, I would say, like, give me, you know, some, uh, give me sound and editing, and I'll make you believe that I killed you. You know, because know yeah, this might be that. the first time Archimedes has been mentioned on this podcast. Um, oh yeah, well, that that's... might be. Uh, well, I'm look, I'm the type of guy not... who, on the commentary, mentions Tarkovsky and Samurai Jack in the same sentence. So, you know, <laughs> so, look, it's legendary. So, um, people can watch the droving now around the world. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that is, that is correct. I mean, uh, still at this point, uh, quite early on, the best place to watch it will be Amazon UK and US. Uh, yep. Very soon, we'll be opening up on many, many more platforms, including the ones I mentioned earlier. Yeah, you'll be able to find us in most places um just uh yeah just make sure you're looking at the hex with the people in armor in it and uh yeah that's not the one. The one yeah I love and with it. the droving is the only thing ever other than the actual festival it's called the droving so uh yeah that turned out pretty well that turned out really well yeah well done um so great where can people follow you yourself george so uh yes you can follow me on twitter at the george popov and most importantly, you can follow the more interesting one, which is uh, the Rubicon Film Zone, which is at Rubicon Films UK. I am at 35mm DOP. Or, oh, wow. Uh, because oh. obviously my watch brand has just launched. Uh, yes, let's talk about your watch brand. Planar Watches. P L A N A. Hang on, I can't even spell it. P L A N A R Watches. Planar. Check that shit out. Um, planner watches planner watches watches for people who are currently not working on any films and need something to do <laughs> watches that you don't need right now <laughs> buy an expensive watch why <laughs> why, why would you, you not would you when not? you have no jobs coming in <laughs> or, um, or spend your money on the droving and the dare instead yeah i recommend uh, that actually i yeah, do, that. do all three do yeah. all three do all three uh, do all three order. do all three and, yeah. and and please look at your watch when you're watching hex because you'll need to yeah, <laughs> it's going. What time is it? I must go to yeah, time for a great is that film. Shot done yet? That's what it is. That's what time it is. This has been an absolute pleasure. You can follow me at Giles Alderson or the podcast at Filmmakers Pod. Uh, or go to thefilmmakerspodcast.com for a whole back catalogue of over 160 podcasts now, all about filmmaking. Why would you not? Um, I'd like to say thank you so much to you, George, for coming on again oh, as a returning you, hero uh, of making your second movie. Thank you so much for, for filling us in with all that information and knowledge. It's been a delight. Thank you. No, thank you, man. No, it's 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 always an honor to be back. I mean, you have such a such a such a great roster of incredible guests, and uh, you know, it was it's great to kind of we're kind of chronicling each other of like how much we've we've you know we've done for like the last couple of years, and so uh, you know, I mean, you know, thank you for all the compliments of how you know we've moved ahead with uh, you know our films and our company and uh, us as filmmakers. But the same thing to you guys in your podcast. I mean. You were great when I was there before, and but now, like, wow, you're exploding, and uh, we, we we will check each other again on the third one. So yeah, you know, definitely see where we see where we are, and, see where we uh, are. I'll try then. to be useful again. Yeah, please do, please do. Um, remember, you can go out there and make your indie film, uh, pretty much as George has said, but just know about your distribution beforehand and know who please your audience do. is, and get out there and do it. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down until Beep next bong. tuesday <laughs> sorry elevator down sound no, that was it. good it was a it's really better. good down sound um we will see you then take care everyone bye-bye bye bye, bye.